0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Without further ado, we're going to get into the Word of God and um, go for it today. So why don't you join with me uh, reading Philippians 1, 20 through 26. Philippians 1, 20 through 26 is our text today. Uh, As always, if you don't have a Bible, when you come to church, there's tables right as you walk in, you can grab one, or obviously we live in a day where you can just Google the text. But I will be uh, reading out of the new uh, international version, NIV, for our study today, and uh, the title of today's message is, To Live is Christ and Die is Gain. So let's read Philippians 1, 20 through 26. Paul speaking says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. For... So that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning and to hear from you. And we pray that we would do just that. That through your word, by the power of your spirit, that you would teach us. That you would show us and illuminate what these truths mean and what they mean specifically for us. And God, we wanna be challenged today to live in the same way that, that our brother, that our, your servant, Paul did. That he was not only said it, but did it to, to live as Christ, and even death is a gain. And so God, would you do that deep heart work in us? Would you change us from the inside out? We want you to have your way with us. We, we give you this time, and so God, speak. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, just as a way of recap, we're in the book of Philippians, and what's happening is the Apostle Paul, he's in prison. He's in a Roman prison chained to the Praetorian Guard, the elite Praetorian guard that would protect Caesar, he is locked to them 24 hours a day, and he's arrested, and he's been arrested for preaching the gospel. he's, He's going for it, he's preaching the gospel, he's being used by the Lord in Jerusalem, he gets arrested, taken all the way to Rome, and he's penning this letter to this little church in the city of Philippi, and this church is special. It's real special to Paul because he was there at the inception of it. In Acts chapter 16, we've we've read this, we've seen it. But Paul goes to the city of Philippi, led by the Holy Spirit. He was going to go somewhere else. God said, don't do that. Go to Philippi, preach the gospel. He does. He gets arrested. He's miraculously broken out of jail with Silas. But there's this one gal named Lydia. She's rich. She's influential. She's open, she gets saved, and she just starts a church in her house. And so the inception of the church in Philippi is in Lydia's house. I mean, the first church in Europe, and it's established, and Paul has this special love and affinity for this church. And Paul's in prison, and he's just thinking about them. And what we've seen is he says, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. He has a special love in his heart for this church. And this letter that he's writing, is isn't too long, right? It's four chapters. There was no chapters in his letters. It's a penned letter on a scroll, sent. Took a long time to get there. But he's pending this letter. And normally when the apostle Paul would write a letter to a church in a city, it was because Paul was like the enforcer. He was the enforcer of theology and good doctrine, and when people got led astray or when people were going off the rails, Paul would step in and he would just throw a few elbows, and he would come and he would gather them up and say, no, this is who God is, this is what his word is saying, this is how you ought to live, and so normally when we read a letter to the Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, when we read a letter to the Galatians, um, they're corrective in nature. Um, that he's trying to, to tell them, like, hey, don't let your bodies be used for sexual immorality anymore. Use them for the glory of God. But in this letter to the Philippians, it's different. It's one of encouragement. It's not necessarily at all corrective in nature. It's, it's for them to keep going. Like, you're doing it. You're walking. You're, you're loving the Lord under intense persecution. Keep on going. And this is what it means to keep on going. And this is how you should do it. And don't do this, but, but go, go, go. He's like a coach. like Keep going. That's what's happening here. And what's happened is, is this church has grown and they've been living for and serving Christ. And Paul's saying, hey, use, use, use my life as an example to yours. Like my life and my circumstances, I want you to live in the same way. Like bold and courageous and spirit-filled and full of power and full of grace. But what we read today, if you kind of don't know that, if you're just kind of like reading along or if you're the Philippians, you you kind of wonder like when reading this section today, like has Paul gone mad? Is he crazy? Is he sleep-deprived? Like, whoa, Paul, like you just jumped it up a notch. Like, dying is gain, and it's better to die than to live. Like, Paul, whoa, dude, I know you're about to die, but we're not. Like, have you gone crazy? Have you gone mad? These statements are profound and extremely countercultural. Like, right, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain is against every evolutionary instinct to survive. Survival of the fittest does not match up with that. By nature, as humans, right, our our point is live longer. Don't die. Avoid death. Death is bad, right? How do we prolong life? Where's the fountain of youth? Like, that's the thing. This goes against everything. By nature, we want to hold on and last as long as we can. Well, Paul isn't any of those. He's not mad. He's not crazy. And he may be sleep-deprived, but he's not off his rocker here. Paul is actually the most sane and sober when it comes to the truth and the reality of the meaning of life and death. He actually has the most clarity of it all, and he's not confused. He's not buying into culture. He's not buying into human nature. He's actually the most sane and sober when it comes to the meaning of life and death. So the first thing we have to ask is like, why is dying again? gain? Why is dying again? Why would you say that? Why would you say that? It's because Paul has a different set of beliefs and truths that guide his reality. He lives by a different set. He believes a different set of beliefs and truths than the rest of culture. Because, as we do, most of us do, we believe that the best is yet to come. This is temporary. This is momentary. Our life here is a mist or a vapor. We're only passing through. This is only temporarily our home, but there's something better that's coming. See, the farthest thing we should be doing is actually living solely or ultimately for the here and now. That's that's the last thing we should be doing. It's not that things in this life aren't important or we don't have to deal with. But the last thing, the farthest thing we should be doing is living here and now solely and ultimately for this life. Like YOLO. I get that. I get what you're saying. But actually, you don't only live once. This is just temporary. But our true home, our citizenship is in heaven. Paul's going to get to that. I don't want to go too far into that. It's also in the book of Philippians. But when Paul thinks of death, when he thinks, wow, okay, so when I die, I get to be with God in heaven. For him, he's like, that's a dream. That's the ultimate. That's the goal. That's the prize. That's the whole point. So for Paul, when he says death is a gain, it's because his eyes are set on the prize. It's Jesus Christ. It's what awaits us. This is what awaits us. What's next? What's after death is better than what's here and now. And this wasn't just some like nice, warm, fuzzy thought that he has or that we have. This is a truth and a hope that was foundational to the way he lived in the here and now. Because he believed what he did about what happens after you die, it completely transformed the way that he was living day in and day out here the same should be true of us we have this hope we have the hope of heaven we have the security of what happens we may even be feeling like i'm not super fearful of death because i know what's coming but instead of that just being a hope that lives on a shelf like a dust a dusty book It's supposed to be lived out, and we are supposed to be changed here and now because of that. And Paul, he's a great example to us. Because he was willing to take risks for Jesus and to give up everything without the fear even of death. And he did that. He, He took risks for Jesus. He said yes to Jesus. He was willing to do whatever for Jesus, He gave up everything because he was not fearful of death. Paul is the way he is because we have a better example, a more ultimate example, the perfect example. That's Jesus Christ. See, what Paul believed in is wrapped up in the gospel. Jesus, dying on the cross and then raising from the dead three days later, conquered death, and that Easter Sunday put an end to the fear of death, and its consequences because every Christ follower shares in that, shares in the death, and shares in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so we do not have to fear death because Christ conquered death. He did it, he paid the price, he paid the consequences, it's finished to tell us die. Like done once and for all. And so the reason why Paul can be in a jail cell of certain death is awaiting him. Paul would go to die. This is real. This is not fake. This is not phony. The reason why he could say that, the reason why he did this unto death is because Christ already made a way. He already conquered it. He already ended the fear of death. Paul would write this in his letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Go ahead and read the whole chapter. It's so good. But this is what he says. He says, "O oh death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is mocking death here. Death, you think you're all tough, you think it's scary, you think it's painful, you think it's hurtful, it's the end of all things? No, it's just the beginning. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Rhetorical questions to you, there is no sting. There is no victory in death. For many of us, death, much of humanity, death may be one of our greatest fears. Maybe it's a centipede bite, maybe. Maybe. Maybe you're like, I'm, I'm good. I'll give, I can't, <laughs> like in the night or something, like I'd rather die. <clears throat> but for many of us, our greatest fear is death. Because deep down, this is what we believe, even though we just read that. Deep down, we think that death is an end or it's a loss. Because a lot of times it feels like that, obviously. It's painful, But when we think of our own death, we think, "Oh well, my life is over. All is lost. That was it." And so, what that does in us is we become fearful of it. We become fearful of an end, of a change, of a stopping, and we all of a sudden think, "Well, it it is. It's a loss. It's..." But how wrong we are! It is the greatest gain. It's the greatest gain. Uh, You guys know him. just just passed away, Billy Graham, this year, famous evangelist. I mean, you know the story. He famously said this, before he was dead, obviously. He said this in one of his evangelistic, you know, crusades. He said, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I I have just changed my address. I will have gone to be in the presence of God. To die is gain. I get to be with God. Paul also wrote the second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 9, adding to this theological truth. He said, Therefore, be always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. This is where we get the truth and the saying, to be absent from the body is to be present with God. That's what Billy Graham said. That's what he said. That's what his point was. I am alive with God. Glorified body, all things are good, all things are right, all things are better. See, the moment that our life is taken, doesn't matter how, doesn't matter when, the moment our life is taken, we get to be with Jesus. Like as Christ's followers, as redeemed, born again Christians, like when your life's dead, it's like it's not over, it's not a loss. It's just begun. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Like, and we get to worship him in all his magnificence and all his glory and all his goodness forever. And it's wonderful and it's perfect because nothing's bad and nothing's tainted. There's no sin. There's no effects of sin. It's as it should be. And God, like, we're with God in all his glory. If you know the Bible at all, when that usually would happen, it'd be so overwhelming. People would, like, die or couldn't be around, It's that wonderful, it's that amazing, it's that good. That's why, that's why Paul says dying is not a bad thing. He said dying is a gain and Paul's future assurance of this and our future assurance of this should change the way we live in the present. It did for him. There's this funny dialogue that he writes to them. He's almost like verbally processing. Verses 22 through 24 of our text today. Let me just read it again. This is Paul, right? If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What, what shall I choose? Like he has a choice, right? He's going to die or not. I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to be a part, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Look at that. He knows, and it's true, that even though being with God was far better. Just remember that. Being with God was far better than anything in the world. He says, it is more necessary that I stay. Think about that. Like it's way better to be dead with God. But it's necessary for the kingdom of God to go forth. God's not done with me. God wants to use me for his glory. And so it's necessary that I stay. Paul was so secure in who uh, Jesus was, his future was. He was so secure in who he knew God to be. and, And anything that could happen to him was not a bad thing. But he knew that other people didn't know this truth. Like there was those around him everywhere. There was so much of humanity that did not have that. And so Paul was motivated by the lack of others knowing Jesus. That should really help form the way we should think. It's far better for us to be with Jesus. That's the goal. That's the prize. But we're not in heaven yet. Like we're not there God's with us. He's given us the Holy Spirit, but it's necessary. If you're not dead, none yet in here. I haven't bored you with my sermon yet. You're not dead. It's necessary. You are necessary for the furthering of God's kingdom here. Your life counts. It matters. You're a part of the picture. There's no waste. Like every one of us is necessary for the furthering of God's kingdom. And because of Paul's union with Christ, it brought about security in God. Like he was boldly, without fear, fear of even death, going anywhere and doing anything for Christ. And the same should be true about us. And I pray, like I I think we should pray that the fate of our eternity would change the way we live in the present. That is such a good prayer. Like God this truth I I, I believe in, I know that's going to happen, let that truth change me now. And so Paul says this, and it has. He says, to die is gain, but before that he says, but to live is Christ. Right, that was Paul's anthem. This was his song. This was the driving foundation of the Apostle Paul's life. Until I die... I'm going to live my life in its entirety for God, and everything else fell in line with it. This was the foundation, the cornerstone, his anthem, his song, whatever you want to call it. And the thing is, is like we live in a world with with uh, mottos and slogans and mission statements, and these things. Um, are meant to drive us and direct us and make decisions. They're to motivate, they're to inspire, and they're all over, right? They're in our culture, they're in our movies, uh, different groups or organizations. Like, what's your mission statement? What's your vision? Like, what are you about? Like, what drives you? Maybe you have it in in a certain group you're a part of or an organization or your job. Like, we come up with this thing that we can grab hold of, that can direct us, that can guide us, that can motivate us, that can remind us why we're doing this. Uh, growing up by far, my favorite TV shows were MacGyver. I had the mullet and everything. It's amazing. And then A-Team, right? I love it when a plan comes together. You know the A-Team, child of the 80s. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't, I don't know. Maybe it was a mainland thing, I'm not sure. A-Team, MacGyver, this is like formed my life. TV shows, honestly, very formative. But it, So in line with that, favorite movie of all time. Should I say that? Hold on, yeah, I'm gonna say it. Goonies, absolutely, 100%, Abso- absolutely 100%. Everything, Truffle Shuffle, Rocky Road, like anything, everything. ORV, bullet holes, everything. Hey, you guys, you know, the, I mean, if you don't know, what I'm, you're just so lost if you've never seen the Goonies. So weird. But their motto is like, Goonies never say die. Goonies never say die. It's hard to explain the movie if you've never seen it, honestly. It's like treasure hunting these kids, Oregon, tunnels, pirate ships, Fratellis, they're chasing them. Bad guys, okay, it's hard to explain. You have to watch it kind of maybe. Um, But their motto is Goonies never say die. And it's like a thing they say in trouble and it keeps them going. It keeps them going. It's their motto. What's our motto? What's your motto? Like your personal motto? Now, I know you, I hope you don't really have like your own personal motto like printed or like on like your business card to meet someone, but we all have a statement or a few things that drive us, that we base our life upon, whether you've thought about that or not. Like, whether you've, like, codified that into, like, a sentence or a motto or not. We have, like, a motto. We have an anthem. We have a song. So, Paul's motto was to live as Christ. Could that be said of you or I? Like, is that our motto? Is that, what is the foundational motivating phrase that drives us and guides us? That's the question. And this is the time where that's a real question for all of us to, like, think about. And, like, if you're taking notes, write down. Like, that's a big point we want to sit on and be like, okay, what is that? What is the thing that drives my life? We need to figure that out. Because is your motto, like Paul, to live is Christ, or is it maybe to live to have lots of money? And everything in your life, kind of, you don't want to say it because you're a Christian, too, but everything drives being successful. Is it to live his family? Not that the family's bad, but is that everything, all the time, without fail, the most important thing over everything else? To live his family? Or is it like to live to have fun? It's so all I want to do in life is have fun. I'm just going to like money is a way to fun. I don't want to have too much drama because I just want to have fun. To live is fun. Or is it to live to make everybody like me? Like, I just want to have a good reputation. I don't want to make anybody sad. I just want to be a people pleaser. I don't want to, I'm not the, like, I don't want to, like, no ripples. Don't rock the boat. All those phrases are like, please, I just want to live life so that everyone likes me. Or, you know, fill in the blank. To live is. For me, for a long time, it was to live is Travel. Like honestly, I got the travel bug so early. I'm just talking about like overseas, like you go see a new culture in a new country and the world we live in, it's so easy to do that now. So all I would do was just like make money just to travel. And then I'd be like leaving on a trip before I'm even gone, where are we going next? Where's next? And by like my mid-20s, I was like almost at 40 different countries going. Just going for it, but that was like, that's, that was like my revolving, if someone was going to say, what's your like greatest thing? What's like, what do you sacrifice for? What do you, what do you like, what were you willing to give up in order to, I'd say, travel? Are you seeing where I'm getting at? Like, it's not that all those things that I just said are inherently bad, like to want to be successful or to like love your family well or, you know, to like, Want to be mindful, or buy a house? like Those things inherently are not bad. Traveling is not bad; it's good. You should all, we should all do that. But when we make any of those things the main thing, and Christ is no longer the main thing, if if our anthem is not for, to live as Christ, all those things are awesome. But Christ is the main point. So I'm willing to, you know, do. I'm I'm gonna willing to sacrifice those things for that. That's where it becomes a problem when Christ is not the main thing. And our life motto will determine how you spend your life. Like, you'll chase it. You'll sacrifice for it. And the way you live your life, or excuse me, your motto will determine the way you spend your time, your talent, and your treasure. Because that's that's what we that's what we have. We have we have time. We have it's limited, but we have it. God has provided, and He's given us all uh, treasure, like finances and stuff, and resources. And also, He's made you who you are. You have skills and giftings and talents. You will use your time, talent, and treasure to pursue your life motto, whatever it is, at all costs. And you, and we humans are pretty crazy. Like we're pretty like we're pretty. Um, Ruthless, and we're pretty determined when we have something we want, we will make time, we will spend our money, and we will use everything we can to get it. doesn't matter if you're, like, more extroverted or more, like, you know, A-type or alpha or whatever it is. Like, when, when we make something the foundational base of our life, everything will revolve around it. And, and the thing is, is those things, their time, their talent, our treasure... They're always expending, we're always using these, we're always thinking about it. And they can be either used for God's glory and the furthering of his kingdom, or they can be just used for what we determine as the purpose of our life. Again, not that all those things are bad, but they by far are not the best. As Paul would say, God is far better. He's far better than anything that this world has to offer. So when you see, when Paul says, for me to live is Christ, what he's living for here and now, he actually gets the fullness of that in eternity. Because he's living for Christ now. So for him to say, it's better that I die because I get the fullness of what I'm already living for. I, I, I see partially I see through a veil now, but one day that veil will be lifted and I will see Christ. See, Christ is Paul's goal. It's his prize to live for, um, to love, to honor, to obey, to praise. And he's only getting a glimpse, but the fullness is to come. And so, okay, so what's competing for that place in our own lives? If our motto is not To live for christ if it's all those other things what is competing what is competing with christ is it something else instead if there's one phrase that uh would have been written on paul's tombstone like his epitaph would have been for me to live as christ and die as gain that was his life's story that was it like what do you say about paul the apostle it's like he's crazy he was crazy because he, he, he lived for Jesus and he was not fearful under the point of death. This would be his epitaph. So what, what could be said of our lives? I know that's like can seem like morbid, but it's not. It's, it's, it's real. It's, it's in light of eternity, in light of our life now. And I was teaching this years ago in um, like a junior high, high school setting. The question that I remember posing was, are you going to live for like 80 years or eternity? Like, what are you going to live for? Because, I mean, I think the average is actually way lower now. It's like 72 or whatever. That's like the, li- the average lifespan. Here, here and now. But we don't think in those terms. We shouldn't. So it's a vapor, it's a mist, but what are we living for? What are we, what are we living for? What is our life to be founded upon? What's our motto? And I'm kind of gonna slightly kind of turn the corner for our wrap up if you're getting squirmy. But this is all good, but we have to ask the question, like, how could Paul do this? Like, what, what was it? Like, I wanna do that. How could Paul live like this? And obviously, how, how can we? Well, if you know anything, Christ was so formed in Paul. There was such a deep union between Paul and Christ that even losing his life would be better because he wanted Christ so badly. And the thing is, is like there was something so like rooted in Paul. It was so, there was, there was a belief that was at the core of his being, that he fundamentally believed in, and he was constantly pursuing this idea. He was asking the Holy Spirit for help. He was constantly checking, like, am I living out of this place? And there's two verses that I think sums up this deep union and this deep truth that Paul based his life upon, and it's Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ, Paul speaking, And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And I think another verse in his letter to the church in Colossae complements that. Colossians 3, 1 1 through 3 says, If then we've been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I'm being honest here in that if there's one thing that I feel like I say to myself uh, a lot is actually a combination of these two verses and it helps me to steer correctly. It's, I, I know my life is no longer my own and it's hidden with Christ. And man, preaching that to myself helps so much. My life's no longer my own, I'm not God, He is. I'm not in charge, He is. I'm not supposed to lead, I'm supposed to be led. Like I'm the creation, He's the creator. I need to know my place. Like my life is no longer my own, it's hidden with Christ. And I think, again, that is a prayer that we need to pray, that we would continue to be sanctified and and allow stuff to be burned away so that we can get to this place where we can say, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. And Paul's goal in all this, like his goal in all this is found in verse 21. Very first word we, uh, it's, or is it 20? Whatever, let me see. Hold on. It's verse 20. It says, he says this, the first verse that we're studying today. I eagerly expect and hope deliverance. Nope. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, listen to this, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The exaltation of Christ in his life was the goal what does that mean? Right? Like it means that God gets the glory. He gets the praise. He's the thing that we give most attention to. If you exalt something, you elevate it. You put it at a place that's above everything else. And Paul said, the purpose of our lives is to be the exaltation of Christ. That doesn't mean that all those things don't matter. It's just that Christ is far better than those things. And everything else looks through that lens. Our time, our talent, and our treasure, how we make decisions, how we treat people. The question we have to ask, is Christ exalted in this? Is he getting the glory or am I? And if there's a charge that I will end with, he said that like three times now. But if I will end with one thing, I want to charge us to be a people who live for Christ, who is far better, but do what is necessary here and now to reach other for his glory. Right? He's better, but it's necessary that we live for Christ here and now until we see him in glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that we can stand here on the truth and the security that we have in Christ that for us to die is gain. It is far better. It will be far better to be with you for all of eternity, free of disease, free of pain, free of tears, free of junk, that we get to be with our God and worship him how it was meant to be from the beginning. That is far better. But Lord, we're not there yet. And so in this tension, in the here and now, in our daily life, we ask that we would exalt you, that our motto would be, for me to live is Christ, or our family's motto, or what we value most as a couple, or what we wanna do with our money and our time and our giftings. God, would you make us a people that not only, say, not only want that, and not only say it, not only mean it, but do it. Would you infuse this? Would you make this the foundational anthem of our lives? For us to live as Christ and to die is gain. And whether by death or by life, may Christ be exalted.